The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. As you are seated, I encourage you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. I'm going to look to verses 35 through 38. Matthew chapter 9. I want to begin by telling you a story about a man who was born at the turn of the 20th century uh, named William Borden. William Borden was born into one of the wealthiest families uh, in our country. Uh, It's estimated that his family's net worth was about $2 billion in in current monetary value. Uh, Born as a son who would inherit this business, inherit this wealth. As a 16-year-old boy, some of you who are close to that age, imagine this. As a 16-year-old, he was sent along with a chaperone uh, to do a tour of the world. Now, in our day and age, that's still an extravagant trip, but imagine at that day and age and the means of travel in that day and age. 16-year-old boy, here's your 16-year-old birthday present. You get to go on a tour of the entirety of the world. And so as he was traveling the world, and as he made his way all through the places that he went, especially through China and the region there, uh, he was a believer. He was raised as a Christian, raised as a child of God. He was. He came to see such poverty and darkness that he was never aware of even here in what we what he saw living in Chicago as he did when he was where he was raised and, and on that trip God began a work in his heart to call him into full-time service as a missionary to, to leave behind the the huge business that he was set to inherit and the millions of dollars that could provide a life of such comfort of such wealth and to pursue God in this calling upon his life to to be a missionary specifically to the people of China. And so it's said that when he surrendered to that call as a 16-year-old man, that he, he wrote within his Bible the words, no reserves, no reserves, give it all up for this call of God. And so he would go on to go to Yale University, he would go to Princeton Theological Seminary at the time, both of those were um, some of the most, um, some of the best uh, theological uh, seminaries in, in the country. Uh, long, long have they been in liberalism in our day and age. But he graduated from Yale, graduated from uh, Princeton, and of course, e- even the media picking up on, on this man who would give it all away to go to China as a missionary, there were many who were ridiculing him as a fool. Many who were saying, why in the world would you give up such a prominent position of authority and power to go and reach these people that that you don't even know about, that the world doesn't even think about? And it's said that as he renewed that commitment to the Lord, in that moment he opened up his Bible and he wrote underneath the words, no reserves, the words, no retreats. And he would go on to pursue that calling. It would lead him to Egypt along the way of China. Uh, along the way to China, Egypt there, he would uh, go, I believe, into to language school and into preparation to reach the people of China. And it was there as a young 20-year-old uh, that he came down with cerebral meningitis and he died within months of contracting that sickness. And it said that as he was lying on his deathbed, he wrote under the words in his Bible, no reserves, no retreats. He wrote the words, no regrets. A lot of people
people have looked at his life and say, what a waste. And yet, today, this morning, over 100 years later, about right at, I'm talking about him. I'm sharing his story with you. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, we begin reading. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like a sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I believe with all my heart this morning that there are some of you in this room this morning that God is calling to full-time service in his work, whether that be missions or whether that be pastoral ministry, whether that be youth ministry, but in some way, some shape, some form, I fully believe within a room of this many people and this many young people that there are some of you that God is tugging upon your heart, that he's calling you to give your life to serve him in full-time vocational ministry. I believe that to be true. And I believe there may be some of you who are fighting that call, who are thinking about the cost of what that means and the things that must be given up to pursue that and the fear of the unknown because you've never navigated that road before and you don't know what lies ahead and you're, you're struggling to surrender to the call that God's placing upon your life. I believe also, I know for sure, that God is calling every one of us who are in this room, who are believers, to be a witness for Him, if not in full-time vocational ministry, in the full-time ministry He's called you to as a child of God, living the life that you're living where He's placed you, wherever that is. Whether you're teaching at the school, whether you're working construction, whether you're working at CVS, whatever it is, whether you're retired, whatever stage of life you're in, as a child of God, it is a biblical truth that He has a command upon you as a child of God to be an ambassador for Him, wherever you are. To be ready always to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within you. Reality is, though, if we were to take a poll this morning, on how many of you have ever really shared the gospel of Jesus with anyone, most would be ashamed to admit they never have. Most who have, if we said, have you shared the gospel, the story of the love of Christ with anybody in the past month, and the likelihood is not many of us in this room could, could raise our hand and say we have. And I struggle with that, and I ask, why? Why is that the case? And it's not unique to our church. It's, it's the condition of churches everywhere and believers everywhere that there is an extreme hesitancy uh, and a lack of obedience to, to share Jesus with the people God's placed around us like God calls us to. And I wonder, what is the reasoning for that? Is it lack of opportunity? 
I don't think it is. I think you know a lot of lost people. I think a lot of you were around a lot of lost people who don't know Jesus. The needs around us are abundant. Some people say it's a lack of training and that we just need to better equip believers to share the gospel. I don't think that's it. I really don't. Training doesn't hurt, but I don't think training is necessarily the answer to solve it all because we've done trainings and it hadn't made much of a difference. Churches do trainings and, and it doesn't motivate people to share the gospel. It's not a matter of you don't know how. How many of you know that Jesus loves you and that Jesus died upon a cross for your sins, was buried and raised again? How many of you know you can't get to heaven on your own because you need to believe upon Him as Lord and Savior? You know that, you know the gospel. You can tell somebody that. If you know John 3.16, I can have Hudson, my seven-year-old boy, come up here and share with you the gospel. It's not complicated. It's deep. But it's not complicated. It's not that we need more training and that we don't know how to share the gospel. You know how to share it. You know what I think the root problem within all of our hearts is? We lack the compassion that Christ had. It's not that the need isn't there. It's not that we're not equipped to share the gospel. The reality is we don't care enough. Or rather, often we care so much about so many other things that, that we don't share Jesus because our care and concerns are, are so focused on lesser things, good things often, but lesser things than that which is most important. There was a study done by an author named Malcolm Gladwell with, with seminary students, and he assigned a project to these seminary students based upon the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and so that, that is what they're studying. They were required to give a presentation on it. They would show up for class, and he said there's been a change of location, and, and you're actually going to another room uh, down the campus uh, to give this presentation. And on some of the students, he said, you need to hurry. You're late. Hurry up. Get down there. On another group of students, he said, uh, you're early. You've got some time, but go ahead and head down there. I think they might be ready for you. And along the way, they placed an elderly man sitting there. And this elderly man would, 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 would groan and, and, and try to draw attention to the condition that he was in in dire need of some assistance and some help to see what the students would do as they were on their way to give a presentation on the Good Samaritan. And what they concluded was that thinking about the Good Samaritan really didn't increase the, the helping behavior. That, that there were a couple of occasions even where the, the students stepped over the man who was in need, hurrying along their way to get to the presentation they were required to give. They found what only really mattered was whether the student was in a rush or not. That of those students that he told, you're late, you need to get down there, he said only 10% actually stopped to help the man. 90% of those students stepped over the man and kept going because they knew they had to get to this presentation or they would get a failing grade. Of the students that were given more time, 63% stopped to help the man. I think that speaks into the busyness of your life and my life, to the cares and concerns that we place on so much in life, on things we've got to do, on places we've got to go, on activities we've got to keep up with between children's sports programs and between school activities and functions, if you've got kids, but between job expectations and the things that we so prioritize that we've become so consumed with the cares of, of managing our schedules that, that we don't 
we don't share Jesus with the people that God has placed around us who are desperately in need of Christ, of the healing that comes through Christ and Christ alone, the forgiveness that comes through Christ and Christ alone. So I want to stop this morning and examine the example of Jesus and hope that we can learn from it, that, that we can learn from Him, that we need a compassion that, that leads us to care, a compassion that leads us to stop. Notice first, verse 36, you must care enough to see. It says of Jesus that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. That that there was a care within his heart, a a compassion, that that when his eyes met the, the people, the multitude who was so, who were so broken, It says they were weary and scattered, he said, like sheep having no shepherd. They were were literally beaten and afflicted is what that points to. Like sheep without a shepherd. They they had no no one leading them, no one guiding them. They were helpless. They were were open to uh, affliction and to attack, to persecution. The spiritual leaders of the day, the Pharisees and others, had so twisted the law of God. But it wasn't something that brought salvation. It wasn't something in the way that they had twisted it that brought the freedom of the grace of God. It it brought only burden upon the people. And even as they were striving to make right before God the brokenness of their lives, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were weary and afflicted. They were were beaten and and, and bruised by the the abuse of the law that the Pharisees had, had formulated. And Jesus looked and He saw them and He It says he had compassion upon them. He saw their condition, and he was moved by it. You realize every day you see people who are weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Every day you're surrounded by people who have bought into the lies of this world. The lies of this world that say there is no God, or if there is a God, he doesn't care about you. They say all you need to do is live your life how you want to live it, and self-expression is the means to the greatest fulfillment in this life. And and they buy into this, and they they think by doing these things they'll find true contentment and happiness and meaning and peace. And, And as they do these things, what they find is it only leads to greater brokenness. And they're in a place of misery. They're in a place of being weary and afflicted. They're in a place of, of being sheep without a shepherd, having been blinded and deceived by the lies of Satan, the lies of this world. And you all the while hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You know the truth. You know the way. You know the life. You, you have the answer that can bring true healing, that can bring true contentment, that can bring restoration to any broken situation that person is in. And yet we so often don't even care enough to see them. We don't care enough because we're so busy with our own lives, with our own cares, with our own concerns. You must care enough to see. Secondly, you must care enough to pray. Jesus seeing this great need, He turns to His disciples and He makes plain this reality. He says, the harvest truly is plentiful. He looks at the multitude in need of salvation, the multitude in need of of the truth from God, and he he says the harvest. He gives this illustration that's uh, agricultural.
culturally based now. He'd already given the illustration of the sheep and, and the shepherd, and now he turns to agriculture. And if you can picture a, a field that is just ripe with produce, ready to be harvested. He says the, the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people that, that need Christ. And he says, but the laborers are few. There's few who are actually out there reaping the harvest. There's few who, who are obey, obeying the, the Lord, the master of the harvest, and, and going into the field to do the work of, of harvesting the, the produce. And so he says, therefore, pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will, will send forth laborers into the harvest. Now notice who owns the harvest. Notice who sends the laborers. This is all the work of God Almighty. That God is the Lord of the harvest. That God is the one who brings the produce. That God is the one who sends the laborers to, to reap that. It's an amazing thing that, that God has chosen to use you and me, those whom He has saved, to reach those who He will save. You look to Acts even, and it's such a mystery. Where, where Paul was at Corinth, and he was a little concerned about all that was transpiring. God told him, hey, don't, don't be concerned. Don't, don't panic. God said, Paul, I have many people in this city. We go because we know there are some that will believe. We share the gospel because we know there are some that God will call, that God is at work saving people, and He's made us as Lord of the harvest, as the one who owns it all, the one who's at work in it all, a part of this process of, of, of bringing salvation to all who will repent and believe. There's a great mystery in that, but hear me, there's a great privilege in that. That you're a part of that work. But Paul would say, I've become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. And he wasn't saying I'm the instrument of, of their salvation and the fact that he died upon a cross for their sins. No, he knew Jesus is the Savior, but God had, had called him to be an ambassador, and God was at work through him to draw people unto Christ. You realize that God is at work in your life, desiring to be at work in your life in that way. He says, pray. Turn to God and, and pray to God and say, God, there are lost people who need you all around me. Would you send forth laborers, send forth myself and others, others into the, the harvest to, to reap the harvest? Pray that God would raise up young men and young ladies who, who would leave a, a career of, of, of health and wealth and prosperity and security in, in this country to go to places that people have never heard the gospel because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, a proclaimer of the gospel? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. You must care enough to see, you must care enough to pray. And notice thirdly, you must care enough to act. The, the passage begins here with Jesus in action. Go back to verse 35. 
says that Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, and He was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and He was healing every sickness and disease among the people. There was action that was put forth to the the compassion of Jesus. And then we see in chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, that there's action that continues after this revelation that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, that we're to see the needs of the people, we're to have compassion and care and pray about the needs of the the people, the harvest that is to be Reaped, but then it goes forward in verse 1 to say that when he had called his 12 disciples, he gave to them power over unclean spirits to do all of these things. And then we go to verse 5, and it says, These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Don't go to the Gentiles yet, but enter into the way of the, uh, or do not enter into the way of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, go and preach and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. There was action that was put forth to the seeing and to the praying. I think some of us think, well, it's enough to see and it's enough to pray, and then we never do anything about it. We totally ignore the Great Commission at the end of Matthew where Jesus says that that we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you of the reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Colossians 4 and verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Why? So that you may know how to answer each person. Each person that sees in your life there's a difference. Each person that knows you're a believer. You're in church on a Sunday morning when it's 28 degrees outside. You, You think people don't notice that? They do. And though they may poke fun at you and mock you a little bit here and there about it, hear me, when life hits a wall, when mama gets cancer, when little Johnny's rebelling and the parent, the daddy doesn't know, have any idea how to get his little kid back in line, who do they turn to? They turn to you. Because you're the little bit of light that God's brought into their life. And hopefully there's, there's action that it's more than just seeing and more than just praying. Yes, see see the brokenness and see the need of, of Christ in their lives and, and pray that God would send forth the laborers, but then don't pray and sit on your bottom and do nothing about it. Do something. Be ready. Be, be, be willing to step out of your comfort zone and to put off things that are less of less importance to, to share with that person. Now, now, you're not able to heal as Jesus and the disciples were able to heal. I wish I could. I do. I, I wish that I believed the gift of the Spirit regarding healing was still active and given in this day and age because you could bring to me little kids that aren't doing good, that are sick, and if I could lay my hands on them and say, be healed, who would not? And if I could do that as a valid authentication of the truthfulness of the message I'm preaching about Jesus being the Christ, why wouldn't I? I believe that that gift was given 
in this transitional period at the foundation of the the new covenant as as God is transitioning from old covenant to new and Christ is present and the gospel is being proclaimed and then especially the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to understand that the Messiah was coming to die and, and to be resurrected and the kingdom would be already and not yet. There's so much in this that we don't have time to dive into, but the bottom line is the gift of signs, the sign gifts, the gift of healing and the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, I believe were given as foundational gifts in the early life of the church to establish it, to authenticate the message of the gospel uh, of the the new covenant that was being ushered in. And as soon as that uh, infant stage was completed, those gifts faded away in and of themselves because we've got the word of God, we've got the spirit of God within us, and, and those sign gifts are not as active as they were in that day and age. And so I don't believe that God gives the gift of healing like he did in that day and age. It does not mean I don't believe that God can't heal miraculously. I fully do believe that as we pray, God can of his sovereign will choose to heal beyond the scope of of natural reasoning. Uh, Absolutely God can do miracles. Don't hear me wrong on that, but I, I don't believe that I have the gift of healing or any other pastor in this day and age. However, I believe we do still do things that mirror that gift of healing. When we show care and concern for the physical needs of people, and when we give of our finances to help meet their needs, and when we go out of our way to provide food for those that need food or a vehicle for those that need a ride, or the the ways in which we show the loving kindness that God has shown to us and the gracious acts that we do to meet physical needs, that validates and authenticates the truthfulness of what we proclaim when we say there is a God who loves you. There is a God who gave his life upon Calvary. Jesus dying for your sins was buried and raised again. It it validates that. Sometimes their physical needs are are so loud in their life that they can't even think about their spiritual needs. And so we meet physical needs in order to meet the greater need, the spiritual need. Are you doing anything right now to help a lost person come to know Christ? witnessing to a skeptic way back up in Louisville when I was in seminary, just a person that was more agnostic and knew the Christian faith well, and one of his big hesitations that he had was he said, if you really believe there is a hell, if Christians really believe there is a hell, and that Jesus is the only way, why aren't they doing everything that they can possibly do to tell people about Jesus? (laughs) And unfortunately, I had to look at him and go, you know, uh, that you're right, we should be doing but that is why we send missionaries like we do, and that's why we give like we do, and that's why there are those that do give up all to go, and that's why you and me ought to, in everything that we do, be ready to give an answer always. Not only ready, but, but be, be actively looking for those opportunities and doing things, uh, acts of kindness and compassion in order to build bridges that we may communicate this great truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That, 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 that anybody and everybody is broken and is desperate, that they're afflicted and weary. They're like sheep without a shepherd if they don't know Jesus. Doesn't matter how much religion they have or how much good works they're doing, they, they need Christ because He and He alone can forgive. He and He alone can give eternal life. He and He alone is Lord and Savior. What are you doing right now to help a lost person Come to faith in Jesus. Care enough to see. Care enough to pray. Care enough to act. 
could close with a number of great missionary stories. I could share with you about Amy Carmichael, David Livingston, or Hudson Taylor, just to name a few. But but I don't want to. I, I want to share a couple of stories that are a little bit more familiar with us. This past year, heaven has gained some of the greatest evangelistic men that I have known in my life personally. From this church, from this place. Think of Brother Jim Hubbard. Some of us, most of family with us even now. Maybe you know Jim Hubbard's testimony. He was a deacon here at Trinity Baptist Church. And yet, deep down inside, he knew it was just a head faith, a head knowledge that he had. And deep down inside, he never really repented and believed upon Christ as Lord and Savior. And his wife, Miss Marge, told me that she knew it because one of the things about him is he didn't like telling other people about Jesus. He would do all he could do to avoid a conversation that was religious in nature. And God got a hold of his heart at one church service, and he came to a place of repentance and belief, not just a a head knowledge of Christ, but a true surrendering before him. And, and, And that radically changed in his life. He wanted to tell people about Jesus, so much so that he knew God was calling him to leave a life of of already being established in the banking industry, a a life that would have been lucrative and a life of of ease and comfort for the most part. He left that completely mid-career in order to give his life a full-time ministry to go serve the Lord as a pastor and a preacher. And then in his older age, he was back here with us and we got to witness and I got to get to know him and and just witness his life. And and so many times he would share with me the tears in his eyes, the stories of how God laid it upon his heart to go knock on a door or to, to, to turn a conversation that was just happening randomly into a gospel conversation. And with tears down his eyes, he'd say, why would God let me do this? So amazed that God would make him a part of saving a soul tell you of a man named Bob Moore. Many of you know Bob Moore who went to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago, a few months back. Bob Moore was climbing the corporate ladder at Publix. And he was doing quite well. And his 27, late 20-ish year old son, I believe he was 27, unexpectedly died in a boating accident. Through that, just his knowing the Lord even then, walking through that, he, he saw the shallowness of the corporate career, and, and he, he did believe God was calling him to go into full-time ministry. He was ready to leave it all, but God continued to work upon his heart, and, and he knew God had told him, listen, I've already put you in one of the greatest mission fields you can go to. You're surrounded by unreached people all over the place within this corporate environment that you work. And so his call wasn't to leave it all and go. His call that he embraced was to use what God had given him for Christ's sake. And I can tell you there were thousands of people 
who came into Bob Moore's office and they left knowing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because he would boldly share his faith with anybody and everybody that he possibly could. I could tell you of Larry Robodeau. I remember Brother Larry come down in the later, later years of his life, months of his life, in his, his little scooter and sit right there. And some of you don't know, but for a majority of his life, he was actually a clown. <laughs> he, he told me that one day when I was newer here years and years ago. He was like, I need to tell you something. He's like, I'm a clown. I'm like, what do you mean? And he pulled out a picture and legit head to toe covered in the clown costume. And I asked, like, why? What are you doing that for? And he got into it because he would go to the hospitals is where it started. And he would not only be able to lift up kids that were, were in a bad situation dealing with sickness, but he said, I use it to tell people about Jesus. And I get to go into these places and not only make them laugh, but I get to share the love of Christ with them. To tell you of Bob Glover, the man that would sit right there in Western attire every Sunday, and I, I walked into his office, or to his office. I walked into the hospital with a hospital bed that he was lying on as he was battling cancer there in the last days of his life. And he looks at me with a smile on his face, and he says, "This may sound crazy, but I love being here in the hospital." I was like, "Yeah, that does sound crazy. Why in the world do you love being in here in the hospital?" And he said, "You know how many people I've gotten to tell about Jesus in this past week." He said, they've got to come in and they've got to listen to me. I'm the patient. And he said, I promise from the doctors to the nurses to the janitors to whoever it was that came into that door, he was telling them about Jesus. i tell you about Bob Day, who just two weeks ago was greeting us at the door, second service. He's now with the Lord, but if you knew him, you knew he loved to share the gospel with anybody and everybody that would listen. Miss Esther told me that when she'd be shopping in the stores in the mall, uh, I would be sitting out in, in the little lobby area just watching people and thinking, my goodness, there's some weird people on planet Earth. <sighs> to my shame, because you know what Bob Moore would be doing? He'd be striking up conversations with complete strangers because he was going to tell them about Jesus and about their need for him and about what God had done for them through Jesus dying upon the cross for their sins and being buried and raised. Who, who is God raising up to fill these shoes? Who is it that's going to leave their career to go reach people that need Jesus? Who is it that's going to use their career and say, I would leave it, but I think God's called me to it, so I'm going to do all that I do, not just to earn a paycheck at the end of the week, but that I, I can tell people about Jesus that God places around me and make that the priority of all that you do. Who is it that's going to come up with a silly hobby? Something you enjoy doing, not just because you enjoy doing it, but because you get to tell people about Jesus through it. Who is it that's going to take every opportunity, even the spare time that others might be sitting and thinking about things that don't matter, to strike up conversations about the one thing that matters most? The harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray that you would raise up laborers here among us. Lord, that even now in this invitation, as we are 
I pray, falling under the conviction of your word as we ought to be, as we think about our failures and faults, about the opportunities that all of us have passed by, where your spirit has been nudging us to give a reason for the answer of the hope that is within us. Lord, that you would first lead us to confession, and that, Lord, you would then lead us in a boldness to ask of you to do a work in us, to make of us what we can never be without you. Lord, to make of us true laborers in your harvest. People that are willing to set aside things that we have prioritized in order to do that which is of the greatest priority. Lord, to not be so busy that we neglect to see the needs of people, the greatest need, their salvation. And make opportunity to do things even out of the way to build a bridge, to show your love and care for them, to share with them the gospel of Jesus. Lord, make of us people that care for souls a burden for false saints. Lord, if there be anyone in here you're calling to full-time ministry, give them the boldness to just surrender and to know that you will be with them wherever you send them, that you will open the door, you provide the way. Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. Lord, work, I pray, in this moment for your glory.